Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome, Mara. So happy to have you on today. Thank you. So glad to be here. I love talking to all types of people. Obviously, I'm in the yoga world, physical therapy world, but I'm also an entrepreneur and I've really loved learning about your journey. And I'd love for people to understand where you are now, especially in this second stage of life. I feel like it really helps women in particular know that there can be many, many options for them. So you started off as an attorney, you're a mother of three. Can you walk us back a little bit and 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 talk about those early stages of having children and what you were doing and then how you pivoted and, and went into this completely different venture, seem, seemingly. Yeah, so I, I hope that the message can come across to many women that really it's not too late and that you can re-enter the workforce, especially if you had a, a large gap in, in, in your resume, like I have, as well as entering into new industry. So my background is I was a lawyer for a really large law firm in Chicago for many years. Then I did corporate strategy at a Fortune 100 company. That kind of, I feel like that job really sparked my kind of entrepreneurial interest because I was part of like an incubator program where we're looking at um, studying consumer trends and looking customer insights and trying to develop you know new concepts for a really large company. And then you realize you. You can't move the needle that much, no matter what great concepts you come up with in a, a really large company. So I think I used that experience. And after that, I was always kind of looking at new ideas and what I would want to do later. My 
I guess, you know, work life came to a screeching halt when I was put on emergency bed rest with twins. So that kind of ended that part of my career and then was home raising children. And that became my, you know, kind of big, my focus and being CEO of my house. Can I ask, what is the age difference between your oldest and the twins? So my twins are my oldest. Oh, they're the oldest. And right. um, and I have a fourth grader. So I have two freshmen in college and a fourth grader. Oh, wow. That's it. Yeah. That's a big gap in it. Yeah. Those are two stages of life. Well, we'll talk about that as well. <laughs> Let me ask you one question. How did you hop from being an attorney or were you an attorney in this Fortune 500 company? So I wasn't. I decided to go to the business side. So my undergrad degree was actually in accounting and I graduated from the business school. So I decided I really wanted to try something different and go back into the like business part of the corporate world, not be on the legal side. If I was going to practice law, I would have stayed at the law firm because I thought it was an incredible experience. And when you're at a large law firm like that, you get thrown in the fire really quickly and you learn a ton really, really fast. It's, you know, so I thought that experience was great. And so if I was going to practice law, I'd want to continue doing that. I think, but being in a large law firm and then being in a Fortune 100 company, I was just kind of always just grinding it out, grinding it out. I was on a really fast pace and I never took a minute to even think about other options or directions. So I feel like the reason I probably started a company later in life was because I finally had a minute to kind of reflect and think about something maybe else I want to do. I was just very focused and trying to, you know, move up and... Well, and imagine having that wiring of being, you know, those are two very impressive career paths already. And then, you know, turning the dial and becoming a full-time CEO of the house is, is a different skill set. I mean, and it's, it ought, it takes a lot of organization. It takes a lot of energy, but I'm sure you must've had that, that desire to, you know, tap back into that earlier part of you. And I think this is really important for women to hear is that we can be really satisfied at home but it's also okay if you feel like you want more than that and that you want to have another identity outside of that. I think that we've come a long way, but we still see this in, and mothers can be the most judgmental of other mothers, whether they're at home full-time or ones that go to work, mothers can judge them for going to work. So sometimes we just need to really just like settle down and support each other because all of these decisions are, are challenging but we have to really, really embrace what our desires are, because then that I think ultimately we're better people and better mothers if we if we feel that. So how far along at being a home CEO did you start to feel like a, a, perhaps a longing or desire for doing something more? Right. And, and I agree as far as the, you know, just trying to support whatever anybody's choices are. So the biggest trajectory, honestly, in my life, my career was me suddenly staying home. I don't think I ever anticipated that. I don't think anybody who knew me ever saw that coming because I was just like really, you know, really in the fast pace, fast track and never even took a moment to like breathe, let alone, you know, think about maybe I'll be home. So that was a huge change for me. And, but I think I've always, I guess part of that 
is and my drive has been a little bit of the external validation as well, which I think that is maybe the piece that I often missed as a mom. I mean, I think my kids are fantastic and great, but no one, you know, no one often in my house tells me I'm doing a really great job and they're they're not giving me an A in my um, or a great performance review at the end of the year. I think there's a piece of that, that putting in a, a lot of work and wanting to get some of that like external validation has always still been there for me. So I think that's part of me knowing that I was always going to go back and, and do something. And I also feel like I was very fortunate. I mean, I got to make that decision. I was able to stay home. I, I'm very cognizant of the fact that that is not everybody's position and not everyone gets a chance you know, has that opportunity, can make that choice. I don't think I'm great at maybe balance that much. So because when I was working, I was so career driven and put in all my time and energy. And then at home, I kind of did the same thing as far as with my children and house that I didn't see way how I could like balance both things very well. I still don't think I'm really great at balance, but I maybe better at now at least focusing on one thing at a time and being very focused on that. So if it's work, I'm just super, super focused on that. And if it's home and family, I try and turn everything else off as much as I can and and turn my attention to that. But so I think I always have that in the back of my head. I'm always someone who was inspired by other founder stories. So I listen to a ton of podcasts. I read a lot of books about founders. I'm a big Shark Tank fanatic. So every time I'm hearing all these people starting companies and what they're doing, it always kind of sparked an interest in me that I I really wanted to come up with, you know, my own idea. And I'm also someone who kind of always looks at how I could tweak or improve on something that's maybe already out there, like an offering that's out there. I'm like, okay, they could be more efficient if they did it this way or whatever. So I feel like that's always been kind of part of my personality. So I don't think it was a big stretch for me to want to start my own company. And I think the timing wise, I had two kids going, knowing that they're going to leave for college. So knowing that I'll probably have a little bit more time. I started this in February, 2020 is when I like, you know, formed my company. So then suddenly, you know, the world turned upside down and we're in the midst of a global pandemic, which afforded me more time at home and less running around. So I was able to finally kind of really focus on something for me, which is what I kind of think of this business is something I'm doing for myself, that I had time and energy, even though we had two people working from my house and three kids on e-learning at the same time, I did manage to carve out some time to, you know, launch a business at the same, at the same time. But I think just the timing worked. And when you talk about moms, think often moms who've been home for a while, they don't necessarily see the value in what they've done and what you've learned and how you've grown. And I actually think there's there are tremendous skills that I've, you know, honed as a stay-at-home mom that are very applicable to, you know, starting a company. I mean, I can multitask like, you know, <laughs> the best of them, efficiency flexibility. I mean, I had preemie twins. I have three kids. No day ever goes as planned. And I feel like when you're running a company, I mean, that is just power for the course. There's always, you're always coming up with a plan B or plan C because things don't necessarily go according to plan. So there are a lot of skills that parents really develop, but we often don't 
really think of those as, as skills. We don't, we don't validate help. them. Oh yeah. It's so true, Mara. It's interesting when I had a yoga studio and I was getting managers or people that were working, I would, I would think moms would be the best assets here because of all the things you just said that are under, probably underappreciated that yes, multitaskers, efficient, yes, flexible, resilient, problem solving, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible that what you, what you do learn. And so I think it's really important for any women who are out there who are thinking like, how am I ever going to get back in the workforce? I haven't, I don't have anything on my resume, you know, it's like your resume is all these skills you've developed in real time that, that are amazing. Like, and I don't think moms, maybe this is a broad stroke statement. I don't think they're going to complain about stuff in the same way that people that haven't been at home with, you know, children running household, all, all of the many facets of that. There's, there's almost an excitement and there, and energy. And like you said, just and a bounce back, like doesn't let things get you. Cause you know, like in life with, at home, there things aren't always going to go your way. So I really want to know about your company. Tell us about what you developed and how in the world you came up with this particular um, idea. Yes. So I founded Inspiro Tequila uh, because I told you that I, I knew I wanted to start my own company. I've actually been, been told in the past that I don't do well with authority. So I figured this was, this was my I've been told that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's good it's to work just, for yourself. <laughs> totally. And I knew if I was going to start something, I really wanted to be a product that I am very interested in and, and a fan of. And so I kept, I kept coming back to tequila. I became a tequila drinker years ago. I've been gluten-free for like over 10 years, generally live a healthier lifestyle. I found that it was a cleaner spirit that kind of fit into my active lifestyle. So felt better the next day. I don't really like sugary drinks. I actually do like sweets a lot, but I do not like sugary drinks. So I started drinking tequila. And I turned a lot of girlfriends over to becoming tequila drinkers. And then I kept hearing from a lot of women like that tequila was their drink of choice. Oh yeah, I drink tequila. It's cleaner. It's, you know, has kind of a better for you halo effect. And I thought, okay, well, all these women seem to be choosing tequila, but I didn't think there were brands that really focused on them as the primary consumer. I thought from the bottle designs, the things look really masculine. And I thought, you know, even the marketing and positioning is like, you know, scantily clad women and dark bar scenes with cigars, like things that just did not particularly resonate with me as a consumer. I thought, okay, what if we could create something, just custom create it that has a look, you know, taste and aroma focused on this consumer. So we conducted focus groups and we followed up with surveys and really trying to get an understanding of what this female consumer who, you know, makes most of the household purchase decisions anyways, and is the main entertainer in the home, you know, what are they looking for? So the first thing I started out with was the bottle design. I wanted something to look different. I wanted something that stood out on the shelves and it to be sleek and sophisticated and really clean, light and bright as, as well as really easy to hold and pour. So it's very purposeful that it's slender and slender in the middle. So it's easy to hold. And then if I was going to do this and kind of bring a female perspective, another female perspective to, you know, a traditionally male dominated industry, I wanted women involved in every part of the process. So the next step was, it was important to me to have a female master distiller create our taste profiles. So I found a legendary female master distiller in Mexico, Ana Maria Romero Mena. 
to create the taste profiles for us and really to bring kind of what I envision and then have women involved in every part of our process from creating the taste profiles to getting it on the shelves. And I imagine that is fairly rare in the hard alcohol world. (laughs) Yes. In spirits in general, very few women in tequila. I mean, really, really few. So, you know, the fact that we're woman owned, operated and created and focused on the female consumer, that's it's very hard to, to find that kind of combination in the tequila industry. Now, can you talk me through a little bit about the process of the taste and, and how, when you met with this female distiller, did you go down to Mexico? Are you kind of doing this over online, telling her the kind of, like, how, how did all that go down? I'm fascinated. Yes. So I couldn't go to Mexico because this was all, you know, early 2020. So first I was going to go in May and I was going to go in June and then July, but with COVID that could not happen. So we were just relaying those messages via Zoom to her and having conversations over Zoom. I had consultants that I hired down in Mexico to also work on it and work with her and the distillery. So there were a few things. One, you know, for this consumer, we really wanted something that was very easy to drink with not a lot of bite. So it's actually, you know, dangerously easy to drink, very smooth. (laughs) We knew that we wanted some sweeter taste profiles. So when they told us the brands that they liked, all of them had sweeter aromas and sweeter notes. So more vanilla, cooked agave, caramel. We wanted a hint of like a citrus mint. And what was really important to us is that we also wanted to be additive free. So many of the brands that people told us they they like and big brands that most people know, they have additives. So for us, we wanted to create those that same taste profile that people were looking for, but without using additives. So not adding coloring, flavoring, glycerin, anything like that, no extracts or anything. And we actually are confirmed additive-free. There's an entity in Mexico that's now doing that, Tequila Matchmaker. Now, why would why do people add additives? Because you can, I mean, basically you can do it more quickly. You can skip some steps. You can, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot more time intensive. I'd say our process is pretty meticulous and and not rushed. So it's a slower process to create even a Blanco tequila. It, it can be done much more quickly using different types of machinery that makes it go quicker and then adding, you know, flavoring in or you know, aromas that you want to, to, to get out of the taste profiles. I think, you know, big brands maybe to maximize make their things profit. more quickly yeah. and maximize mm-hmm. profits and be more efficient. And it's just, it, it's become kind of accepted as well. I mean, it's not using the traditional methodologies totally because you're tweaking things, but you're allowed to add up to 1% of additives for like something that's like an aged variation in Mexico without adding it on to the label. And then there are also kind of ways around even for a Blanco that's not aged to be able to add things to it without having anything on your label. So this is really a new bringing additives to light is kind of new in Mm. the industry. And I appreciate that this, you know, kind of entity, tequila matchmaker who they're, they're really about, you know, the history, the process around making tequila that they kind of really focus on this, that they want 
that's where they started this like additive free confirmation process. Got it. Okay. So I have to ask you because actually the first thing I had, the first alcohol of any kind I had was in eighth grade and it was tequila. <laughs> then very funny story. My mom who doesn't listen to the podcast much will, will appreciate me telling this. I was in North Carolina. My mom, my, I'm a triplet. So I have an older brother and then my mom had three and it was, you know, like four kids in two and a half years. And so she was very busy at home. And it's funny because she has a glass of wine every day now, but when we were growing up, she did not drink. And years later, she told me she really couldn't because my dad was a surgeon. He was gone most of the day. She's like, I, like, I could not drink. I was, I was in charge of you guys. And so she was a little naive in terms of alcohol. And I was going to a friend's birthday party who happened to be turning 14, mind you, on New Year's Eve. And we're going to the party. I said, oh, it'd be really fun to get him champagne since his birthday is on New Year's Eve. And my mom said, okay. And of course, my 14-year-old my mind's going, well, that was easy. And I said, well, actually, I really think he probably would like tequila. And my mom said, okay, well, where do we get that? I said, well, we have to go to that ABC store. So we're going in. I know nothing about tequila, but this is what my question's going to lead to. I was like, I need the one with the worm, <laughs> you know? So I was like, so it can be like the real deal. So we buy it. She buys it. We're walking out and she's like, I don't know about this, if this is okay to do. And I'm like, it's fine, mom. It's fine. So later on, I'm getting ready for uh, the, the party and I, there's a knock on my, my door and my dad opens it up and he's like, Nice try. Because he was, he was somebody who drank every night and he's like, what nice try. Like, so I didn't get to take the tequila, but it was a funny story because my mom was so naive. But what is it about the worm that that we, you know, I I'm not, you know, this is when I was 14, but that's what I was like, tequila, you gotta have the worm. Now that disgusts me to even think about. But what is that? Yeah, I you know. <laughs> I don't know really what the worm's all about. I think that's like a little bit, if you're in Mexico, when I've been there, like I have not seen that or had that offered to me. I feel like there's also probably, I thought you were going to tell me a, a story about getting sick because what I hear often is that people have some, had some horrible experience and they basically have like, you know, PTSD after some bad experience with tequila when they're in college or something. And it's usually that's because the tequila they're drinking, which most likely the tequila you bought as well to take this party. It's usually a mixed dough, which means, so 100% agave tequila means it's made just from 100% of the agave plant. Now some brands do it. They can still add those additives in, but a mixed dough tequila, which is usually the one that made people kind of like, you know, get sick, only has to be 51% agave plant and the other 49% can be like other grain and other sugars. Oh, so yeah. that's, that tends to be why people got sick. So they're, they usually equate that bad experience with like tequila, but it's not, it's, it's called tequila and it still falls on the category of tequila, but it's not 100% agave tequila because 100% agave tequila is made with only 100% blue Weber agave. And that, I mean, I'm not and we know that's a big deal. Get sick if you drink a whole yeah. bottle of it, but yes, you're yeah. going <laughs> to and it's interesting because uh, have you seen the bat the Batman documentary about the man who's basically saved the bats who are the tequila bats? I don't know if you've seen it. I've not seen the, the documentary, but I know that there are like major efforts, like environmentalist efforts and stuff, because bats are so crucial yes. to the tequila industry. It's it's an incredible documentary. So anybody that's listening, just look up Batman documentary because this 
This Mexican man is dedicated. And yes, it's for the environment ultimately, but the, you know, environment and the ecosystems are intertwined. You can't kind of separate them. And the bats are huge for this industry. So from a business standpoint, can you share with us some of the, the, the challenges that you've had? There are a lot of challenges. You know, when you have a product-based business and obviously there are so many people who have had supply chain issues and we have not, you know, avoided those same issues and delays, getting bottles, getting product, shipping, freight, being really expensive. So those have all been, you know, major challenges for us. I'd say my biggest challenge was actually in our first production run that the gave hadn't cooled sufficiently. So my master distiller has very stringent requirements on how much she wants it to cool before it gets milled and then goes into fermentation. And when we tried the end product, she wasn't totally pleased with it and I wasn't totally pleased with it. And there were some suggestions that maybe we combine it with another run. Uh, and I really didn't want to use anything that was subpar and kind of, you know, take a good and not great product and make, you know, something that's kind of mediocre. So I decided just to not use any of it, which was a really kind of significant amount of product and also caused a, a huge delay for us. I mean, because we, our next run took a while and so it was months and months, but I still think it was the right decision because the product is everything and what I want in the quality. I mean, I think we have a beautiful bottle and it's important to me that the juice inside the bottle is just as good as, you know, the bottle. So that was kind of a, a big, you know, setback for us. I'd say like timing wise, as far as when we actually were able to launch, which we ended up uh, launching online at the end of September, which is not ideal in this industry. I'm in Chicago. It is getting cold once you're in September. You know, you really want to be out in the summer months. You're also running into holiday season, and it's much harder to approach distributors and retailers when you're getting into, you know, October, November, December. So timing wasn't ideal, but I think we got the product exactly where we wanted it to be. So I think that's um, important to really stand by your yeah. standards and not, and even if it costs money or time or both that like all that you had dreamed of and, and, and holding that bar high. I'm yeah. curious how you see yourself as a CEO, like CEO of your own company. Are you involved in everything? I know it's kind of a new company. Are you trying to be more in the creative mindset and back off of some things? Or do you really like to be in, in all the, <laughs> in all the parts? I definitely have a hand in everything. And, um, there's the good and the bad that. One, I think when you're starting your own company and you're the CEO, you have to have some basic understanding of every single element. So I may not be a marketing expert, but I have to understand how paid ads work. I have to understand, you know, the metrics around it. I have to have a basic understanding of, of every single aspect, right? And, and really you have to wear a lot of hats. So it's me filing for barcodes and my federal registrations. And it's me filling boxes that are going out on the floor of my dining room that are being sent for, you know, press kits. So 
I'd say I am trying now because it is a lot when you're handling everything from operations, logistics, marketing, production. It's a lot. So I'm actually trying more and more to implement. I kind of am trying to live by the Sarah Blakely quote that if someone could do something 80% as well as you can, let them do it. So maybe it's not going to be exactly how I would do it, but I need to hand some of those things off because it's just too much. You can't, can't do it all and you can't do it all alone, no matter how much, you know, you want to try. And I do think as far as the creative aspect, for me, that has been really exciting and, and enlightening, frankly, for me. So my background, I have an accounting degree and then I practice law, been in strategy, like very analytical areas. And that's how I tend to think. And I really probably never gave myself any credit for having any, like thinking that I had any creativity in me because it's just not something I'd explored. So the fact that I even started with the bottle design that my mom and I were sketching design, you know, paper, and I had a really distinct look that I wanted, everything from how our branding is. I mean, it really, I have people helping, of course, and creating things. I'm not the creative designer or doing graphic design. I have, you know, you had the vision and all those things. It's my, exactly. And even coming up with, you know, the tagline and name and, you know, slogans and things like that. So that's been exciting because I think it just shows that you can have like so many different kind of aspects to you that maybe you'd never, just never really tapped into. So you never thought you were really good at it, but given the opportunity, you know, so in that regard, what you would are. you say for people that are listening that are like, I don't know if I should ever create something or start my own business? Like, what is a key element that even if you don't think you have the at least honed intelligence or practiced intelligence of being creative or being high performing and organized, analytical, what would be like a key ingredient you think that anyone who's starting their own business should really have? You have to be willing to do due diligence and research. So I was entering into a new industry that I didn't know anything about. So I would listen to every webinar, read every book, listen to every podcast. I took a course by the CRT, the governing agency in Mexico to learn about the production and history and get certified in the production and history of tequila. I would reach out to industry experts. Anyway, I mean, there, there's so much information out there now. It's really easy to get up to speed very quickly. But I don't think there's any, you can't get around doing that work and doing the research. So it was started with learning the industry. Then I told you, marketing was like a big black hole to me. So the number of marketing books I read, listen to, podcasts I listen to, I go on webinars. I mean, I didn't know how to use social media at all. Like, I mean, post a story, anything. I found someone like overseas who was offering a course and I asked her to coach me a few sessions so I can learn how to use, you know, Canva and Lightroom. And I mean, I'm still not great and I'm not great at social media, but I didn't know how to use any of those tools, but it's all out there if you, you know, if you want to learn. But I just think anyone who makes it look easy, it's not. And you have to put in the time and effort. There's just, as far as I'm concerned, there's no getting around that unless, you know, I'm not a celebrity who's putting my name on a brand and have someone else like running it for me. So I have to be, you know, the one doing all of those things. So I just think you 
you have to just acquire all the knowledge you can. It's just so easy to find it now, but you have to be willing to do it. I like to think of myself as a learn it all as opposed to a know it all. But that's always been something about me. Like I've I've always been intellectually curious. I like to read, I like to listen to things, I like to learn about new things. So that part of it actually excites me. The huge learning curve and starting your own company and learning about like so many different aspects. That for me is exciting because that's been like the biggest growth for me. I love that. I think I think you tapped on it. Curiosity. And that curiosity is going to manifest in different ways, but it definitely needs to manifest in doing research and and having passion for it. And also just recognizing right out of the gates that it's going to be hard work and hard work is is what's needed. And isn't that amazing? If you're we aren't celebrities who can just like, yeah, put backing on something. So we have to generate that ourselves. But the I mean the outcome of that sweat and vision and late nights and all that is is exactly what you were talking about that you lack a little bit when you're kind of just in the mom role, that, that affirmation that is, that is like, you've done the work and you're seeing the result of it. Of course, seeing our kids grow up, you know, don't get me wrong, mom. These are all, those are wonderful. But I remember my mom saying, when I went off to college, she, she said something really clever and I'm not going to get it right, but it was essentially the same thing. Like she was really, really uh, having a hard time because we were triplets and we were all, you know, three of us were leaving at once and the older one had already left. And she said, I really have to recreate myself because you were like, she didn't say products, but you were like, you were my products. Like your dad went to work. He had patients. He had a paycheck. He had all these kind of tangible products that were the result of his work. And it's like, you guys are my tangible products and you're leaving. So it's, it's, we, we need some of that tangible, those tangible products that the outcome that makes us feel like, wow, all this work that is not going to be recognized by anyone else went into something and created something and it, and it's matter. And it's like, and, and the fact that you could hold it and look at it and that you designed it and taste it. That's, that's incredible. Well, I think people can learn from you so much. What are your aspirations for the next, you know, five to 10 years with, with the company? And, and if you have other, uh, other products you want to develop? Yeah. Well, first I have to say, I totally can understand your mom when you're telling me that story, because I had twins who both left this year and really, you know, that I I can see that they're, you know, that, that will always be first and foremost, the thing I, you know, I'm most proud of will always be my kids. You know, business will always be, you know, very far second to that. So I can understand that, especially when you, you like the, you know, the feel and the vibe in the house and you actually like being with them and talking to them. So it is, it, that was a huge adjustment. This still was a very big adjustment for me. Me too. Um, we, have, we all have, yeah, you have two and I have one as a freshman and I, and she had taken a gap year. So I got a little taste of it, but wow, moms, none of us can really, really prepare for when the birdies fly because it, I was, oh, I was so happy for her. And I felt like such a well of sadness that, you know, has gone away and now she's home and it's been amazing. It's like the time she's home now is like even sweeter, but yeah, there is that, that, chapter is, is closed. And I think it's important that we recognize that there's some bitter, there's real bittersweetness to it. Yes. So I, I totally can empathize with that feeling. I think for me, the next thing is 
you know, we launched online and I want to see it in stores. So then the real next step for us is to getting our products into retail so that our consumer can find us at their local retailer. And it'll be starting off really strategically in certain locations and geographic areas, especially starting in, you know, my backyard of the Chicagoland area and then expanding. But that is what I hope to see is that it grows and that it grows, you know, to have a national presence and that really becomes, you know, that the go-to tequila for, I mean, our primary consumer, which is a female consumer, but that's not to say men don't love it because they do. And we just won a blind taste test against like two big brands and men actually rated it higher than even the women. So, wow. Congratulations. Um, That's thank amazing. You. Thank yeah. you. So yeah, just that people, people know it, people want it and that the story resonates with, with people. And really my long term goal is that I can also inspire other women. So give back support, you know, we have an initiative to really try and give back to other female founders and support them. And the long-term goal is that, you know, as more women-owned businesses become successful, we have more women out there to invest back into other female founders. And I feel like that's how we're going to eventually, you know, equalize the access to capital. I mean, that's what it's going to take. And and so that's really my long-term vision is to, to be able to, you know, and have the opportunity to to do that and help other female founders get off. I love that. Empowering other women. I'm all about that. And I just hearing your story. Thank you for taking us on that journey. Where can people find out um, more about your brand and access and buy some tequila people? (laughs) Thank you. We're on inspirotequila.com. I-N-S-P-I-R-O-T-Q-U-I-L-A.com. And we're sold right now online and we ship to across the country. And you can also read about us and learn about the story and sign up for our newsletter. We have some really fun, interesting newsletters. So that's fun. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to taste it myself. Thank you so much for just being inspiring about having a second, second stage of life, second career, second, third career. And I hope this inspires anyone who's listening, who feels uncertain or even insecure about how they can contribute or find something to do is that just, you know, look for a need that you're interested in. I think that most entrepreneurs like you've done, Mara, I've I've seen there's a gap, right? And you want to uh, fill that gap and, and bridge it for more people to not only try it, but feel again, like they are, they can relate, you know, that they're a part of it. And so be inspired and, and go for it, people. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And as always, everyone, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.